You're listening to Recommended, where we talk to interesting people about their favorite books. From childhood favorites to classics to new and forthcoming reads, you'll hear how the people who make books happen have been influenced by the ones they've read. In this episode, Wendy Shu chose Defy the Stars by Claudia Gray, and Tommy Pico chose A Tape for the Turn of the Year by A.R. Ammons. Wendy Shu is a Brooklyn-based illustrator and comics artist with three upcoming graphic novels from HarperCollins. Her work has been featured on Catapult, the Barnes & Noble Sci-Fi Fantasy Blog, and Tor.com, among other places. She is the co-creator, with Suzanne Walker, of Mooncakes, a young adult fantasy graphic novel exploring love, demons, family, and witchcraft. Hi, my name is Wendy Shu. I'm an author-illustrator based in Brooklyn, and I will be recommending Defy the Stars by Claudia Gray. Defy the Stars is about a young woman named Noemi Vidal. She's a teen soldier on a planet called Genesis, and they're fighting a war to preserve their culture and to prevent themselves from being colonized by a dying planet Earth. Even though Genesis is one of Earth's colonies, they've been living in kind of relative independence since they were founded and they have this very kind of like traditional culture. And Noemi discovers a ship when she's on a run for essential, a practice run for what is essentially a suicide mission. And in this ship is a mech. He's a humanoid robot, and his name is Abel. And um, Noemi's fought mechs before. In fact, like on Genesis, they really hate mechs. They're very religious on Genesis, so they kind of have this, they think they're kind of like a abomination or just Earth scientists taking it too far. But Abel is special in that he is a prototype, the first mech, and he's designed with the capability to like empathize and feel things and he's been trapped in this ship for 30 years and that's led him to become even more human and the two have an adventure together I don't want to spoil too much of it where they travel all the planets of what's called the loop so all of like earth's colony worlds and along the way there's <laughs> lots of romance and like all these good fanfic moments happening there's like all of your favorite fanfic tropes, like sharing a bed or like someone has to carry someone else or someone has to like take care of some or like, you know, a pretend marriage, like all of these fun moments happen throughout their journey together. And it brings them even closer together. And it just makes my heart so happy. <laughs> I read a lot of ARCs and PDFs that publishers send for review. And I read Defy the Stars, which is a JLG selection, and I loved it so much, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. After I read Defy the Stars and was raving about it to my friend Cody Kuplinger, she was like, have you read Lost Stars, which is a Star Wars book by Claudia Gray uh, about two childhood friends who grow up to be on opposite sides of the Rebellion and the Empire. And I was like, this sounds like exactly what I enjoy. Um, so I picked it up and it destroyed me. <laughs> and I was like, I, I can't believe she's done it again. <laughs> so I have read most of Claudia Gray's other books. I definitely think Claudia has a background as a fanfic writer. And I think someone actually told me that she had 
think she has an AO3. That's since been kind of cleared out since she started doing official Star Wars stuff. But you can definitely tell she's had she's had this long practiced hand in writing a beautiful slow burn romance. <laughs> I started reading and writing fan fiction when I was maybe like eleven or twelve. I stumbled on fanfiction.net. You know, that famous place in the early to mid two thousands. I read like across the gamut. I was like, oh, what is this X-rated SpongeBob fanfiction? <laughs> like a twelve-year-old. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I started writing my own fanfiction. I wrote like the first fanfiction I ever wrote was like a Pokemon Inuyasha crossover. <laughs> it was just really funny, lighthearted stuff. Um, and it showed a new side to the characters in the canon of the show that I thought was great. Like you can explore so many different facets of characters that you only get glimpses of within the canon of the, the media. And so Mooncakes actually came about because Suzanne, my co-creator, wrote this lovely <laughs> Avatar The Last Airbender, uh, Legend of Korra and Avengers crossover when we were just out of college. And I was like, this is so great. I'm going to like draw some comics based off of it. And that's actually how we started working together. So even though fan fiction has been more so in the background of my life for most of my life, uh, like I don't actively seek it out to read, what I have read and you know the relationships I've made because of it like that's definitely left an impression on me <laughs> I have three books coming out with Harper Collins two middle grades and one young adult and the young adult is a graphic novel about a girl and a robot <laughs> it was definitely inspired by Defy the Stars also largely inspired by some things that happened to me in high school and I thought that Claudia Gray captured like a side of humanity and this and like a metaphor about humanity in this robot boy Abel that I thought I wanted to explore some different parts of it in like the robot character that's coming that's in my own work so she definitely inspired me to think more about what robots are a metaphor of in in science fiction I definitely recommend it I was like do you love like a, a sensitive, soft robot man? Like this is definitely the book for you. I definitely, I fell in love with Abel, uh, with his character. Um, I really love narratives about robots who become more than what they were meant to be. I think it says a lot about, you know, being human and just the side of the robot that can be, you know, artistic and loving and showing all these like gentle sides of humanity that sometimes we forget. I think there's something so powerful in that narrative. I think human boyfriends are really boring. <laughs> like, I think that having a robot boyfriend or a monster boyfriend, because I'm also looking across my at my bookshelf at Uprooted by Naomi Novik, another one of my favorite books, because that has he's kind of this immortal wizard boyfriend. But the idea of this this fantasy of being in love with someone who is not 100% or not human, but all but exhibits all these human-esque traits, either the best or the worst. Because like in a robot, you don't expect them to be a human. The expectation is that they are cold and mechanical, like they'll carry out whatever they're programmed to do. But to bring out a different side of a robot, um, whether it's in a less 
um, you know, in not a romantic sense, but I remember in Pluto, there's a robot who is designed specifically to be a weapon of mass destruction in a war. And all he wanted to do in the end was learn how to play piano. I thought that was so beautiful. This robot learning, being assigned to to this kind of savant pianist and being so enraptured by this old man's music that that he wants to learn how to play music, even though this goes against what he was made to be. It says a lot about, again, about being a person where when we are young, we are put in all of these boxes, especially if you're marginalized, right? Like telling you what you have to be. You have to be a nice girl. You have to be a quiet girl. You have to be, you know, I've definitely grown up being told like, that's not what nice Chinese girls do. But letting yourself fall in love in fiction with something not totally human, you are, you are bringing out not just a side of that other character that's more human, but also discovering your own humanity and what it means to be a multifaceted person. And I think that's really wonderful. That was Wendy Shu recommending Defy the Stars by Claudia Gray. Mooncakes, co-created with Suzanne Walker, is published by Lion Forge Comics and is available wherever books are sold. You can find more art on her Instagram, Art of Wendy Shu. That's A-R-T-O-F-W-E-N-D-Y-X-U. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk Ride Paddle. Walk Ride Paddle is a captivating memoir of Senator Tim Kaine's physical journey through the Virginia wilderness, but it is also a unique and ultimately optimistic perspective on these pivotal moments in history, offering inspiration, wisdom, and hope. With immediacy and honesty, Kane pulls back the curtain to reveal his inner thoughts during such monumental times. And Kane's storytelling gift and wise observations offer a fascinating glimpse into the mind of a seasoned politician and outdoor enthusiast. Walk Ride Paddle is available everywhere audiobooks are sold on April 9th. It is narrated and written by Tim Kane, Virginia senator and former Democratic vice presidential candidate. It's a compelling account of one man's journey across hundreds of miles of Virginia wilderness and a moving testament to the optimistic spirit of America. So make sure to check out Walk Ride Paddle by Tim Kane. And thanks again to Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk Ride Paddle, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publisher of the smash hit Fourth Wing. You'll only cross these blades once in a page-turning new tale of revenge, strategy, and so many lies. Best-selling Red Tower Books is releasing its next year's will read that will capture your imagination and keep you guessing until the end. May Corlin's Five Broken Blades tells an intricate high-stakes tale of five total strangers united in a plot that will test their strength, wits, and courage. Each has their reasons, all have secrets. But while it's easy to portray a stranger, it's not so simple to stab a friend or a lover, okay, in the back. Now these five blades must choose between vengeance and one another. Pick up five broken blades by Mae Corlin for a thrilling, adventurous tale filled with risk, romance, adventure, and oh, so many lies. The relationships in it are complex and nuanced and involve everything from friends to enemies found in biological family and lovers and more. Thanks again to Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publishers of the smash hit Fourth Wing for sponsoring this episode. Tommy Teebs Pico is the author of the books IRL, Nature Poem, and Junk. He co-curates the reading series Poets with Attitude with Morgan Parker, and co-hosts the podcasts Food for Thought and Scream Queen. 
Originally from the Viejas Indian Reservation of the Kumeyaay Nation, he now splits his time between Brooklyn and Los Angeles. Feed, his newest book, is the fourth in the Thebes Tetralogy. It's an epistolary recipe for the main character, a poem of nourishment, and a jaunty walk through New York's Highline Park. Hi, my name is Tommy Teebs Pico, and the book I'm recommending today is A Tape for the Turn of the Year by A.R. Ammons. A Tape for the Turn of the Year is loosely about, quote-unquote, a person in the Midwest in the wintertime <laughs> over the course of about a month between mid-December to mid-January as the, as the year turns from 1963 to 1964. And the tape, so that's the turn of the year part of the title. The conceit of the book is that it's it's written on a single piece of tape that is on a calculator or like an adding machine, which necessarily truncates some of the lines and gives it its its form and its length. And um, as for also what it's about, I mean, you know, the um, the New Yorker called A.R. Ammons the great American poet of daily chores. <laughs> so it's kind of a, just like about a car not starting and what the moon looks like outside and, you know, somebody's mood and how he's cranky and like sex. So it lets in the dailiness into the work. I first came across this book, it was in 2014. And heretofore, I had been too daunted by the length of book length work to actually start reading one. I didn't know that I had the attention span. I didn't know that I had the wherewithal in terms of intellect to understand a whole book length poem. Like I was barely, you know, like careening poem to poem for in shorter works. But I had reached this crossroads in my life. I'd just turned 30 and, um, Beyonce's self-titled had just come out on my birthday, actually. And so it was, it was a fortuitous time for Tommy Teeps Pico in 2014. And her album kind of exposed me to epic poetry, to long poetry. I, I saw that album as, as more of a long poem than just like a collection of songs. And it was also during this time I had been dating somebody who was younger than me. Um, and he was sexy, but like not very stable and like broke all the time. And I was dating another person who was older than me, who was like stable. And I was going to say well off or, or like comfortable, but to be comfortable in New York means you're basically wealthy. <laughs> and, um, but he was really boring. And I thought these were the two paths that my life could possibly take. Very naive, of course. But um, I, I did a, a workshop with Brooklyn Poets, and it was led by Jason Koo, who um, started Brooklyn Poets back in the day. And he gave us the first three pages of A Tape for the Turn of the Year. And we read it out loud, and our task was to write something in the spirit of that. And I thought, because the poem was so was written on a piece, on an adding tape, it necessarily made the lines very small. And so what he would do is sometimes like truncate words that that seemed to me kind of like text speak. And so I thought if the conceit of that was a single piece of adding tape, what if the conceit of mine was that it's one long text message, which makes the lines shorter and it brings in the world of text message speak and like OMGs and LOLs and stuff like that. And it started off interrogating these two different points of view, these two different men, but also like what they metaphorically mean. Like Gerard is the one who can get the top shelf bottles and like Muse, who was this younger person, is like always broke, but we always have a good time. And I immediately in that, in the span of those 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes, I wrote the first three pages of what would become IRL, which was my first book.
And so uh, the tape for the turn of the year was, I guess it, it was a kind of permission because of how much A.R. Ammons wrote about the world around him and the very small things and the mundane things and the things that you might overlook. I felt like I got permission to do that as well. While also, you know, I mean, what it is is because it's so specific, it, it gives the work. I think it allows for the poetry and the work to breathe. Tape is very accessible. I think in a way, its accessibility was what allowed me to give my attention span over to a book length poem. You know, it it, it had a formal rigor and in, in that it was like very long and 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 it had um there were moments where it, you know, sublimates into some kind of like heady poetry, but then it also just is like if you can get laid, get laid. There are so many, um, so many insights, so many personal insights and poetic ones alongside each other, and that there's a space for both of those. I, I would recommend it to people who read poetry regularly and who've never picked up a book of poetry before because it, it can surprise you. I return to this book quite often, mostly because there are some insights that accrue with time. There are some insights that accrue with like your comfort in the text. So the more um, having read it, the more uh, things I pay attention to from the jump. And then other things, you know, other interpretations and other readings. I mean, this is, I think, one of the beautiful things of rereading is that upon discovering, <laughs> upon the the most obvious thing being read, it allows for the subtext maybe to come through. I think A.R. Emmons is and a poet that isn't necessarily one of the first ones to come to mind when you think about poetry. And I think, you know, he's been slept on a little bit. And so when I recommend him, I, I think it's more, um, I feel like if, if somebody wants to understand my work, I, I direct them to my lineage. And and A.R. Ammons is a part of that. And so I've had people come back to me and be like, oh, I get what you were doing. You know, it's like nobody is unprecedented and I lean heavily on my idols. <laughs> but I've had people, yeah, I've had um, my, I would say I have a pretty good success rate when it comes to recommending book length poems to people because honestly, there was a whole other world of poetry that opened up to me once I realized that I in fact could pay attention to a book length poem. There's so many things that this book does that is exemplary of longer work, which is that it is self-conscious. It is aware of you reading it. It is aware of itself as a poem. It argues with itself. You know, it'll land on a conclusion and then a page later be like, what the fuck was I thinking? Are you still here? Why did you think, why are you giving me this permission to like, you know, so there's a way in which it, it remains in conversation with itself. And it's inherently, I think all po um, epic poems are about time in some way and about consumption because it's like aware of itself being consumed by the reader because you do it so long for such a long period of time. You have to give so much of your attention to it. And also it becomes a part of you in a way that, I, I not, I'm not sure other work necessarily does that long poetry necessarily does, which is that like you're it's with you for so long and in so many different places and parts of your life and times of your life. Like it imprints on you in a way where I read this book and I remember where I was when I first started. I remember the summertime, but also like I remember returning to it in a November hotel room, you know, and I remember revisiting it on a beach in Santa Monica before I was going into this like pitch meeting, you know, so, um, so much of my life becomes a part of the poem as the poem becomes a part of my life too. I would like to read from it if that's okay. So 
I spend, you know, you spend this entire poem, and again, like the poem is very aware of itself, and 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 the poet is very aware of the poem because it is written on a long piece of tape. So there's a conversation with how far in the tape he's gotten. Towards the middle of the book, it's like there's half the half of it left unspooled on the floor, and towards the end of it, it's like towards the end of a life, becoming very aware of how little time is left, or how much less there is to say now that the tape is nearing its end, and it's in those in that sort of last moment that. I understood that although we're very different people, (laughs) you know, we have almost nothing in common, like literally he's dead. (laughs) But I learned that poems come to him the same way that they come to me. And that's what gave me an affinity for the the work. And so it's like on page 203, he says, I wrote about these days the way life gave them. I didn't know beforehand what I would write, whether I'd meet anything new. I showed that I'm sometimes blank and abstract, sometimes blessed with song, sometimes silly, vapid, serious, angry, despairing. Ideally, I'd be like a short poem. That's a fine way to be, a poem at a time. But all day, life itself is bending, weaving, changing, adapting, failing, succeeding. So that was that. I mean, literally, I read that line and I was like, oh, God, I, this, I feel this so much. I'd love to be a short poem. You know, I'd love to be a poem at a time. But I have so much shit inside here. <laughs> so much that needs to be excavated and unpacked. Of course, I'm a long poem. <laughs> that was Tommy Pico recommending A Tape for the Turn of the Year by A.R. Ammons. Feed, published by Tin House Books, is now available wherever books are sold. You can follow him on Twitter at HeyTeebs. That's H-E-Y-T-E-E-B-S. Many thanks to Wendy Shu and Tommy Pico for joining us and sharing some favorites. Thanks also go out to our sponsors for making today's episode possible. You can find show notes, including titles mentioned, at bookriot.com slash recommended. This episode concludes Season 5, and Recommended will be going on hiatus for the foreseeable future. Thanks so much for listening, and stay tuned for a special By the Numbers episode to wrap everything up. 